Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Before you hear the next great podcast, we'd like to tell you about a new 90-second show which distills everything that President Donald Trump has said in the last 24 hours. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available at wherever you get this podcast. Uh, death totals, our numbers per million people, are really uh, very, very strong. We're, we're very proud of the job we've done. Look for a link in this here podcast description or search for What Has He Said Now? in all the usual places. This looks better for Chelsea as Maybank tries to get in there with a header. It comes now for Charlie Cook. Chipped in delicately again. Oh, and what a save again by Pat Jennings from Hutchinson. It towards Bailey on the volley. Oh, and what a save again. Chipped in again. Oh, there's a chance for Hamilton. Another a great save. Brilliant save by Jennings. Hit well and save well. Daly coming in. Farley coming in and save. John Richards with a shot and the deflection, and Pat Jennings is in trouble. No, he's not. And now King, with everything ahead of him, Jennings coming out fast. Oh, and a good save by Jennings. Alan Kennedy. Crossing with the right foot onto Hansen's head, and Jennings making one of those saves, which is so... Right, uh, welcome to a very special uh, Spurs show episode. Uh, we're delighted. Delighted to have uh, this gentleman with us. He was last on the show. It's incredibly uh, at any length anyway. Back in 2014 with Alan Gilzean. We had a wonderful live night with the two of them in Camden Town. Uh, and, and today what we're going to try and do is uh, cover some of the things we didn't have time to cover on that night. So if you want to hear about his memories of the 72 
UEFA Cup final, his memories and reasons for leaving the club. Go and listen to that show from 2014, which you can still get on iTunes, Spotify, and many other places. Please welcome Pat Jennings. How are you, Pat? Yeah, not too bad. Yep. Still. Good. Thank you so I much for joining it. us. Yeah, yep. yep. exactly. Yep. It's uh, pretty tough, isn't it? Do you think, um, uh, as an ex-player, I mean, this. I mean, there's a meeting later today about uh, football going back. What's your feelings about uh, football possibly returning in June behind closed doors? Uh, well, as if there's no no doubt that you can't pick up the, the virus again. I mean, that's the thing. But at the, the way things are going at the minute, I can't see that happening. You know. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's me. I mean, they're talking about players, you know, leaving their families and staying in a yeah. place altogether. But all it takes is one player to get it, and that's yeah. it. And Everyone's in quarantine. Football people, we uh, all want to get back as soon as we can to see football again. But I mean, it, mm. if it's putting people's uh, lives at risk, we just can't afford to have that. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you. Well, let's let's start today. I mean, it's about your early career because it really is. A fascinating start. You went from such a short space of time from originally working in forestry with your dad to ending up in professional football. You started, I think your first team was a local team, Shamrock Rovers, and it was an under-18 team. And you were only 11 years old when you played for them. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, under-19 league, yeah. Under-19. Uh, all the different areas of the town adopted the names of famous clubs. And right. we, were, we were Shamrock. Shamrock Rovers right. and it was Celtic and the Arsenal yeah. Spurs and so on, you know. Really? But the rivalry and the matches were unbelievable on the night. And we often had maybe eight or nine hundred a thousand people watching the games. Wow. You know, it was just on the edge of the town. Uh, mm -hmm. So it was very accessible to people for people to get to. And obviously there wasn't a lot happening in our town in those days for eight mm -hmm. or nine hundred people to be out watching the street league. Wow. But uh, that was the way it was, you know. And I'm very happy to say that that, that where football started for me is now Jennings Park. I know. Isn't that amazing? Know. To have a yeah. park named after you is incredible. I'm very proud. Absolutely of it, fantastic. You know? But I yeah, mean, absolutely. I'd say that was, unfortunately, soccer only ran for one year because there wasn't a lot of soccer facilities in the town at that time. Right. Uh, we all had to play the Gaelic game going to, to mm. uh, Catholic schools and that. So I yeah. just brought up the Gaelic football and played out uh, in midfield at Gaelic, where you right. were competing with everybody going with their hands and and uh, get taking all the knocks. Mm. So I didn't realise at that time uh, just how beneficial Gaelic was going to be to me whenever I started playing uh, yeah. soccer again. Yeah, that's so, a very good point. I thought, never thought about that because I was going to ask no, how, how never it kind of helped football. Playing professional football, you know, eventually, but... Mm. Yeah, so what what sort of attracted you to playing in goal? I mean, what's you know most most kids want to play out and score goals. What made you sort of think, no, I, I like this position? Well, in the in the evenings or any spare time we had, we usually just spent. Uh, we didn't have proper football pitches, so we just went to one of the local fields, and it didn't matter how many of us there was, maybe five or six some days, and ten or twelve another days, and there was no proper goals. You just put down a couple, a couple of stones out of the ditch or a couple of coats there were mm. the goals and obviously the goalkeeper was a busy one because everybody would be taking shots <laughs> on him you know so that was where it started basically for me and, yeah that's amazing and then it was your one of your brothers got you your first game at the uh, Newry Town is that right? 
Uh, well, yeah, a bit before that, uh, he was he played with me in that under-19 street right. league with my older brother uh-huh. Brian. And mm. uh, he was playing with the local Newry United team. And right. th- at that time, I was working on in a timber gang on a mountain in Ireland with my dad. Mm. And uh, he came in one night and said to me, I feel the, the, the goalkeeper's going to England to look for work. <laughs> uh, why don't you come down and do a bit of training? You might get a game, you know. So me coming off the mountain was the last thing I wanted to do in the middle of the winter. Mm. Uh, go down and train and finish up in a cold shower at the end of the night. So <laughs> he was back a couple of weeks later anyway, and he, the, the the fellas that ran the Newry United team, they knew that I'd played in the street league, and uh, even though I was still playing Gaelic football at that time, mm. they said... My brother said to me again, look, the boys want you down. So I literally went down and trained on the Thursday night, played in the team on the Saturday, kept a clean sheet. And mm. after three months, we won the Irish Junior Cup, something like 300 teams or something like that, taking part in it. Wow. So, I mean, that was me starting. And then I was playing, I got, next year, got promoted to the Newry Town team. They were playing the Irish B League. Mm. And I'm there about three months, four months, and the chairman come to me one night. He said, Pat, I'm putting your name forward for selection for the Irish youth team. I said, oh. what does that mean? He said, well, if you get picked, there's a European youth tournament coming up in England. And mm. uh, if you get picked, you'll be off to that. So I wasn't jumping up and down at 17. I'd never been out of Ireland. So mm. anyway, it, the, the trials had to be cancelled because of bad weather. It was a year of the big snow. And uh, I got picked to play for Northern Ireland, but we still had to go down south to play the south to see who was going through to represent Ireland. And we, yes. we beat them over the two games. So all of a sudden, I've left the mountain and I've joined up with the Northern Irish youth team. And 10 days later, I'm playing in the final against England at Wembley, wow. the world famous. Wow. Game. Incredible. So, I mean, it was just unbelievable start for me. Wow. And it's... Is that, where, is that where Watford then saw you? Uh, yeah, that was like the shop window, you know. All the top, the top scouts right around the country would have been watching all the games throughout that youth tournament. And uh, I was back to work literally one day and, and uh, I went training with Yuri again that night and the chairman's there again, Pat, there's one or two teams in for you. Said, who are they? And it was Watford and Jimmy Hill from Coventry. He was a oh, manager wow. at Coventry at the time. Mm. So I think the deal was done between the chairman and, and I finished up literally signing for Watford. Mm. So, they, were, they were the old third division then, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I joined them at the end of that season with four games to go. And they were in danger of being relegated from the third to the fourth division. Right. So they didn't play me the first couple of games and uh, got themselves out of relegation bother. And then I played the last couple of matches and uh, went all the way through and in the team again at the start of the next season and played every game the next season and we missed, relegate, or missed promotion from the third to the, to the second division. Mm. I needed to beat Luton the last match of the season to get promotion. And mm. Unfortunately, didn't do it, you know. So I obviously had a great season. Yeah. And... Uh, I'm reading in the papers, Sunday papers, and that that one or two of the big boys are looking for me. So mm-hmm. uh, eventually, it was uh, I got a call to say that uh, it was Tottenham, you know. Yeah, who was um, who was sort of growing up? I mean, because you know there wasn't much 
well, there's certainly no live TV apart from the FA Cup final, World Cup final. Was there any like goalkeepers that you looked up to or tried to star some of your play play to at all? Could you did you have any influences early on? Uh, no, not really. But I would, uh, my father would have man, took my brother and I to the matches in Belfast, the international games. Right. And, uh, that would have been the only uh, uh, chance we'd ever seen of, of seeing professional goalkeepers like in those. I games. see. Who was, who was the Northern Ireland keeper then? Is it Greg? Yeah, no, Harry Greg and Norman Harry Greg. Yeah, the, the other goalkeepers like Tommy Younger from Scotland. There mm. used to be big games in Northern Ireland, Scotland. So mm. that would have been the only opportunity we'd had of seeing goalkeepers. And then the biggest day of the year would have been the cup final. Yeah, in Ireland, across the world, it was a glamour competition. Like so, mm. that would have been the only chance you'd have seen goalkeepers on telly. Uh, playing in that cup final. Wow, amazing, isn't it? So, I mean, you obviously, when you when you joined Tottenham, obviously a couple of years before, they'd won the double, first British side to win a major European trophy. And although Danny Blanchflower had retired and John White had died tragically, it was still when you joined pretty much the rest of that side. And you went straight into the side ahead of the double keeper, Bill Brown, and you made your debut on the opening game of the 1964-65 season at home to Sheffield United. Uh, we won and we got a clean sheet. Do you still remember that game? Uh, yeah, yeah. I can remember the reaction of the crowd, the unbelievable reaction of the crowd whenever you walked out in the corner of the, the stadium there. Mm. The hair just actually felt rose in the back of your neck. It was that sort of a feeling, the, the Tottenham roar. Just mm. unbelievable. I'd never experienced anything like that before, you know. Yeah, but, that's it. Uh, yeah. But for me, it was a total learning thing. I mean, in those days, we never had any goalkeeping coaches. So, I mean, you just had to learn the game and basically you learn through your mistakes, you know. Right. No goalkeeping coaches. I was all mm. my life in football, more or less, to I, I joined the opposition, or the other team down the road. Mm. Uh, so Bob Wilson's my, my first goalkeeping coach after 14 right. years, you know. Yeah. So wow. uh, you just had to learn through <laughs> your mistakes, and yeah. the goalkeeper's got to help you no end. Uh, whenever I joined Watford, it was the same. You know, they could have helped you, but now all of a sudden, they're, you're opposition to them. You're trying to get into their position, so they're not going to offer you any help. And it was the yeah. same whenever I joined Tottenham, Bill Bryan. He, mm. I used to come penalty spot, way beyond penalty spot for crosses not coming in. They were ten mm. a penny to me. Yeah, but, uh, Bill used to say, "You learn, son." You know, <laughs> and uh, down through the years, then you, you do learn. Maybe you know, to just leave those situations to the centre half to get them cleared and right. stay behind. So it was a mm. first two or three years at the club was total learning process for me. You know, mm. do you think? Do you think a lot of goalkeeping, therefore, is instinctive, especially for you? As you said, you've had no coaching must be just on instincts, when to come, when to stay. Yeah, you just learned that in the early days through your, uh, through through experience, really. And yeah. Nowadays, I mean, I have worked with the goalkeeping coaches at the club and the academy coaches, and I mean, with three and four coaches at the club now at Spurs, and uh, the kids from their any age are getting coached, you know? Yeah. So uh, it's so much more of a help and... and uh, just put you so far ahead of what we had to learn through through our mistakes, you know. Yeah, it was that um, 1966-67 season, the cup 
couple of seasons before you just mentioned, you were you were kind of vibe with Bill Brown, but in that season you the position became your own and you played in the second second part of the second season, yeah. Yes. And it, uh, went all the way through then for thirteen years, yeah. Yeah, you played the first that very first season. Well, you played forty one league games in that sixty six, sixty seven, um, sixteen clean sheets, and we're actually unbeaten in the last sixteen games, and we finished third. But obviously, remember that sixty seven for the FA Cup win. Do you have any memories of the early rounds against Millwall, Portsmouth, or Bristol City? Uh, yeah, I can remember the first game away away to Millwall. We're drawn away mm. in the third round. And uh, it was a really, really tough game for us, you know. Yeah. I think we finished up nil nil on the on the on the day. Cyril Knowles got actually he got cleared one off the line in the last uh, few minutes with me beaten, like so that wow. was out. Come with close to being knocked out in the third round. Incredible. And, uh, even even the second the replay back at White Hart Lane was a struggle. We only won that one one nil. Yeah. So there yeah. was no easy games. It was everybody's dreamed to play in a cup final so no matter who you played it was it was uh, there were tough games you know yeah we had also we had a tough quarterfinal against Birmingham which is still available on, on YouTube people can watch that um, that, that finished goalless and, and you pulled off a, a really important save right near the end of that game and then obviously that, we went on we went on to win the replay quite comfortably was that the uh, that was the, the, the fifth round was it yeah yeah, uh, I think it was the quarter final. Oh, the six, yeah, six, six run, nil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, it was a real struggle. The first match away to Birmingham, nil nil, and uh, I mean they had to come back to White Hart Lane and, and absolutely played. You know, everybody played out of the skin that night. I think I had one shot to save during the match, but we yeah. finished up that <laughs> night winning six nil. You know. Yeah, amazing, but isn't the, it? The, 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 the earlier game, uh, the fifth round match against Bristol. Mm. Uh, we won that two nil, and uh, they 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 failed to score from a twice taken penalty. Oh really? Night. Yeah. Oh wow. Uh, and Dave McKay was still to this day would believe that Dave was sent off in that match, but didn't go. <laughs> so <laughs> he refused to go. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Uh, that it. was how, you know, we beat Portsmouth <laughs> the way as well in the fourth round. I think it was 3-1 or something. They got a comfortable win for, against them. Yeah, yeah. That match was unbelievable. The, the Bristol City match, you know. That's funny. Oh, I'd love to have seen that one. I mean, the semi-final then we put Hillsborough uh, against Nottingham Forest. A very, very tough game. Uh, luckily, Jimmy Greaves and Frank Saul scored two great goals. And we've got a little clip here. At Hillsborough. Where Spurs kicked off against Notts Forest in the game that was to put them in the final after five years' absence from Wembley. An early escape for Tottenham showed the Londoners that their opponents are a very dangerous team. Dave Mackay saves Spurs' bacon at the expense of a corner. A good header by Frank Wignall, and Knowles used his knees in an unconventional clearance. At the other end, Greaves tested Peter Grummet. In a Nottingham attack, Barnwell's header went just over. Then came the first goal to Spurs. A brilliant shot by Jimmy Greaves. Second half. A shade against the run of the play, Spurs changed over, leading 
Gromit cleverly saved Gilzine's shot. After both Greaves and Gilzine missed an open goal, Fragsall banged in a sizzler from the edge of the air. Spurs tried hard to get another, but they had no more luck. When it was late in the game, Forrest piled on the pressure. Jennings gave away a corner. From the flag kick, Terry Hennessy headed the goal. First two, Forrest one. So at Wembley, it'll be Spurs versus Chelsea. Uh, what are your memories of that semi-final? I mean, it was uh, not Forest. Them were a very, very good team, weren't they? Yeah, they were a good team. They actually finished up uh, second to Man United that year in mm. in, in the league. Yeah, uh, Man United won, I think, by they were four points ahead of them. But uh, Forest were a very good team. They finished runners up, and eventually we 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 finished with the same number of points. Mm. But uh, they, were, they got above us on goal average. But they were a yeah. good team uh, uh, for us, you know. Mm. And I mean, yeah. uh, getting to that far in the semi-final and, and missing out to, to Wembley, oh, nightmare, you know. Yeah, but From our point of view, that's what you're dreading on the way to playing in a match like that, so close to getting to a Wembley final mm. and not making it. So a lot of pressure on in the day. And we knew Forest were a really good team. Mm. So I mean, this sort of to, to go there and beat them uh, to go to Sheffield on the day and a lot of nerves before the match and that. But as you say, we got the goals, Graves and Frankie Saul, and uh, just a great win and the relief of of getting to that Wembley final. Mm. I mean, that Wembley final. Obviously, this was the height of the swinging sixties, swinging London, and you know, for that year, for the FA Cup to host two London. London clubs for the very first time was incredible. You know, it was it was obviously called the Cockney Cup final by all the press. Did the players realise that this kind of made it even more special than just a normal cup final? Uh, well, yeah, pride of London. I mean, that was you know to uh, every paper you picked up leading up to it. That would have for weeks before. That would have been uh, that would have been the big talking point, the final, and. Uh, mm. As you say, they had two London clubs in it. And you knew that this match was going around the world. That was the glamour competition in those days. And probably the only cup final that anybody's seen throughout the world. You know? Yeah. But yeah. unbelievable pressure as well, because you knew if you made a mistake as a goalkeeper in that match, mm. uh, you were going to be showing it. You're going to be saying it for the rest of your days. Yeah, I'm going to Chelsea. In the morning, the cup finals, they would have shown every cup final for his bar far yeah. back as it was filling, you know. <laughs> and Chelsea were a very, very strong team. We'd lost to them in the league at Stamford Bridge 3-0 uh, that season. We'd only drew with them at White Hart Lane that season. And Tommy Doherty, their manager, had used a sweeper against Gilzine and Greaves in those league games. And it kind of, well, obviously it, it had worked, but he dispensed of it in the final. I heard a story from Adam Mullery that uh, Bill Nick got wind of this at uh, a dinner a couple of nights before the cup final he found out that uh, they were going to go with a flat back four. The rest is history. Here's a clip of uh, here's a clip of the highlights now.
Now then, this could be dangerous. Oh, great save by Jennings. Fantastic save. Well, without question, that was the most fantastic piece of football we've seen this afternoon. A brilliant dribble by Charlie Cook. And what a magnificent... And <laughs> fouled by Boyle coming in from behind. All arms, legs and everything. Now, Mullery, that is how quickly Tottenham take their free kicks. Robertson, a goal! Right on half-time! Robertson has scored, and there's an, there is an appeal by Tottenham that the linesman flagged. But, Robertson the scorer. Well, that was undoubtedly made by Alan Munnery's run, but give praise to the rest of the Tottenham team. They ran away to make him space, to give him space. He took a shot on the rebound, Robertson, who was twice before, hooked first. High with a long one, no doubt. Robertson, Saul. Watch this wonderful shot again by Saul. And there is Saul. The scorer, 2-0. Midway through the second half. Happy enough, convinced now that the FA Cup is at White Hart Lane for the third time in six years. Number eight is Greaves. Hinton to Ron Harris. Boyle. Boyle to Baldwin. Hately! A beautiful effort by Hately. That, I think, is the best effort of Tony Hately in the whole of the match. Great effort. Baker with their fifth victory. Less of course, Chelsea can snatch two goals in five minutes. Boyle. There's one of them. Tamling is the man who's got it. And now then, watch this header. And there's the goal that put Chelsea back into the game. And Tamling, the man who got it. Well, this is going to be exciting now. This was partly, I think, Jennings' fault. The defence thought he was going to take it, but he didn't. He didn't reach up for it at all, and Tamling had an easy job. Away goes Saul. Cameron making, making their way to the Royal Box for the presentation. It's all over. Tottenham have won the cup. Tottenham have won it. A fine final, and Mullery flings himself to the ground. To beat the gun in joy and in triumph. And the Tottenham fans, this for them is the moment of great joy. What's your memory of, of that day? Because uh, as, as you mentioned the top, it's it shown around the world. This was an era when there was no live football. The live football would have been, well, the last live game would have been the 66 World Cup. And then a year, a year later, 67 Cup final. What was the build-up like in London? Incredible, really. Uh, I can remember on the way to the ground that to uh, Wembley. I mean, you can imagine the, the 
thousands of supporters with all the, whatever team they were supporting with the scarves and that. And, and the pressure, as I said earlier, if you made a mistake in that match, you were going to be seeing it for the rest of your days. So it was just uh, pressure, pressure, but on an unbelievable occasion. That's what every footballer wanted to, to get to in those days, a cup final. So uh, that was the, the other bonus of it. But until you got there and got out on the field at Wembley, mm. all the nerves went and then It was what was happening on the day, basically. So. Yeah. No, amazing. And what was your? Can you can you remember your feelings when the whistle'd gone and you suddenly realised? I mean, you know, again, it's it's sort of virtually only about three years since you kind of turned professional, and there you are walking up those famous steps to get an FA Cup winners' medal. Well, I had funny enough from Ireland. I had a, another fella, a fella called Peter McParland, that literally lived two hundred yards down the street from me, the same street. Right. And he had won a cup uh, winner's medal with Aston Villa against Man United in the 57 Cup final. Right. So for weeks before, I'm getting a, in the old days telegrams and letters, I think, from half my hometown, Newry. <laughs> uh, some people had to make sure you bring home another FA Cup medal to Newry, you know. So yeah. I was, it was precious coming from everywhere. <laughs> but uh, that was, that was uh, a bit of added pressure, but just magic day, you know. Yeah, amazing. I mean, we we won the game quite comfortably, like and I sort of half blamed myself. Should have done better with Bobby Tamley's goal. And put us so it was a cross, pressure. wasn't it? You came for a yeah. cross, I remember. Yeah. Towards the end, like, but looking back at the clips of the cup finals, I made a couple of good saves. One is for, uh, mm. a couple of saves. One from John Holmes, and then another, a great save from Charlie Cook. Yes. Uh, managed to get a great shot from him over the bar, so at least it gave me a little bit that I had contributed to the to the win. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, a season that, that was a great one for you personally after this very, very short break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct... Something that's less Mr. Bean and more Steve McQueen. Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. The, um, moving on now, the 1972-73 the, the season was a great one for you personally. The season before been pretty good. The UEFA Cup win, uh, semi-final of the League Cup where Chelsea beat us. Um, but um, in 72-73, you won a League Cup medal. Uh, we got to the semi-finals of the UEFA Cup. We went out to Liverpool. But the football writers voted you pl uh, player of the, uh, the year. And we only finished eighth in the league uh, that season, which obviously said so much about your form. Were you surprised or to receive that award? Uh, yeah, I think whenever you look at the opposition you're up against up and down the country, yeah, I mean, to get that award, I mean, in the, you would never would have dreamt about it like, but 
them whenever you start picking the papers up and you've been mentioned as a, a possible, then you're thinking, well, yeah, but no, no chance I'll never give it to a goalkeeper like so. Mm. And then I, I saved actually 73, the two penalties that I'd play at Liverpool. That's right, that's right. <laughs> Which yeah. I, I don't think that done me any harm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the second one I think was uh, with like five minutes to go and obviously what people forget now is Liverpool were the champions that season and uh, you, I mean you, you've effectively won that point for us single-handedly there was well, there was a couple of other highlights only point, but we only find we got it Liverpool yeah, yeah, all the years of, of, yeah. but uh, I mean I saved the first penalty from Kevin Keegan and Tommy Smith wanted to take it so you, you can imagine what went on between those two like yeah and then whenever the second penalty, Tommy Smith, there was no doubt who was taking it. And whenever I saved the second penalty then, I mean, I can still see Tommy Smith on the floor, hammering the floor, and the re- even the referees joined in the celebrations, you know. But, uh, and it was the morning of the Grand National, so there was one or two people saying that I was in Liverpool a lot, that if I, if I had been riding in the Grand National in the afternoon, I was so lucky. Oh, wow. I probably would have won it as well. Yeah. So, but I made, during the game, I made four or five really good saves during the, that match anyway. So yeah. it was it was a good performance and the two penalties. I mean, there wasn't too many people that had done that at that stage, you know. No, absolutely. And you what, you saved another one that season against Everton as well from uh, Harvey as well. So it yeah, was I think, and a bit unbelievably, a bit later on that year, I was looking up and I actually, I don't know which match it was, September 73. Mm. And they got a penalty as well. I think it was Emily Hughes that took the, the, the penalty. And I saved oh. the penalty, but whenever I look back, we had, we were just, our Bill Nick was trying to make a substitution and we actually had 12 players on the pitch. The sub <laughs> must have walked on, I think it was Cliff Jones. Right. And all of a sudden, the linesman, he waves and the penalty had to be retaken and the score of the second penalty. Like, well, uh, But I'd yeah, actually saved funny. the first penalty. And yeah. as I said, then missed out because we had too, too many players on the pitch. Yeah, There were some other we highlights. We weren't used to subs in those days. Yes. There were some other highlights that season. Um, we went to Old Trafford and 1-4-1 with Martin Peters getting all four. And here's an extraordinary we win uh, at home uh, to Stoke City 4-3. Here's a clip here. Coach running well for it as well. And Stoke in a little bit of trouble there. Gills in and then nodded back by Pedrick as far as Banks. They couldn't get to him. And the header and goal by John Pratt. As Stoke hesitated, Pratt made no mistake. Lurking on the edge of that six-yard area. Terrible hesitancy there in the Stoke defence, and Pratt got up above them all, and Spurs go ahead with three and a half minutes gone. Played wide again to Pratt. And across this time to Gilzean! Oh, a marvellous goal by Alan Gilzean! With a lovely cross again. From the right, eluding those Stoke City defenders and Gilzean, that master of the header, there to finish it off and make it 2-0. Oh, pass back there by Peters. Straight to Ritchie, will it go? Yes, it has. And so John Ritchie has pulled one back for Stoke. 
given to him by Martin Peters. And although Pat Jennings just got a hand to it, it wasn't enough to stop that just crawling over the line. And totally unexpectedly, with Spurs dominating the game, Stoke have pulled one back to get back into it. Knowles, Coates. Pulled down rather heavily there by uh, Marsh. It was Ralph Coates. But it's going to be a free kick then to Tottenham. Chivers jumping forward and Chivers winning it. Gilzean turning it back for Pratt. Oh, and John Pratt has scored another one. And a beautiful goal it was. And that was the reply from Tottenham. Nodded on beautifully by the two big men, by Chivers and by Gilzean. And Pratt was there to score his second goal of the game and put Spurs into a 3-1 lead. Um, now, also that season, despite the highlights, the, the biggest low point this season, and we, we chatted to Steve Perriman about this a couple of weeks ago, that I still remember, was the 5-3 defeat to Derby at home in the FA Cup after being 3-1 up. Do you still remember that game? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can remember the big centre forward. He scored three on the night, yeah. Roger Davis? Yeah, Roger Davis, yeah. Mm. But yeah, it was the only time he scored three goals. Yeah, yeah, we were coasting through the match, you know, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, from the off, there's only going to be one winner, and then finish up. I mean, to be the team that we had to be given five goals away was unbelievable, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, that, that was get your feet back on the ground again, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, that was a tough match, one. Yeah, tough to take. So we had it also five goals at home. Yeah, I mean, also, again, we had so many battles in these couple of seasons. We had a really tough uh, League Cup, uh, some really tough draws before we got to the final. There was another two games with Liverpool. Uh, we edged past them, and then we edged past Wolves, who obviously we beat the previous season in the UEFA Cup. We beat them 4-3 in aggregate in the semi-finals. Do you remember any of those games in the, in the League Cup run? Uh, no, not really, you know, because in those days, uh, they were just... In the early years, we never took part in the in the in the in the right. League Cup. Because, I see. But then, whenever if, if you won it, then that uh, got you into Europe. So everybody mm. then was playing in the matches, you know. Yeah, I see. So uh, even for us, that the first win against Aston Villa, mm. we beat them two 0 I mean, that was our access into Europe, you know. Yeah. Uh, and playing in the UEFA Cup, which we won in '72, like. Mm. Yeah, we faced we faced Norwich in the final uh, in '73. Yeah. Let's let's remind listeners here of the winning goal. To Perryman. that might uh, give Spurs a bit of encouragement now. Forbes under a lot of pressure now from Chivers, but he's again sticking to it well and saves the corner. Tottenham's throw though, and I think it'd probably be a long one by Chivers. He was already there on the spot. And again, Mike England's going forward. Again, a lower one. Chivers with the back heel. Now Mike England hoping to get in. Coates hoping to blast it in. And Coates has done it. Ralph Coates. A beautiful shot by Coates. And again, the long throw has put Norwich in trouble. Nodded out. And finally coming to Ralph Coates. With 18 minutes left. Substitute scores a cracking 
Yeah, amazing. I mean, going back to yeah. the Football Writers Award, which she then picked up, it, it's it's such a prestigious award. Um, it's been going since 1947, and you mentioned how rare it was for a goalie to win it. Um, here's a bit of a quiz for you, Pat. Two other goalkeepers have won that award before you. Do you remember who, who they might have been? Well, it could only have been Banksy, would it? Banks was one in 72. This the year before, funny enough. And one other. Yeah. Wouldn't have a clue. Not a clue. No. It's Bert, Bert Troutman back in 56. Was it? Yeah, yeah. yeah goal, he won I believe it. he was. I actually met him. Oh, did you? Uh, yeah. At some, of, some of the games. I think he actually came to uh, Derry and Ireland and I went down to him and actually met him at a match there. They were playing some sort of a exhibition game or something like that. Well, I remember I had his photograph somewhere in the house that was there. Him and I, yeah. yeah. It's amazing. I mean, a few Spurs players have won it in the past. Blanche Flower won it in 58 and 61. Steve Perriman in 1982. Clive Allen in 1987. Gary Lineker in 92. Jurgen Klinsmann in 95. David Ginola 99. Gareth Bell won it in 2013. Um, I mean, it, you know, it's it sort of sometimes goalkeepers don't get the credit. As you mentioned at the top of the show, you, you kind of only remember, sadly, a lot of mistakes. Uh, and if you make a mistake as a goalie, you, you know, you could have cost the team a game. How, how satisfying was it then for that season? As I said, we only finished eighth in the league to to, to pick up that award. Uh, well, you know, you, you're never thinking about picking up awards. You know, you just every game you go out, you're, you're, you're trying to keep clean sheets or whatever, you know. Mm. And it's just wherever that takes you at the end of the season. And obviously, I had a great season and, and uh, finished up winning it. You know, mm. that's amazing. But, uh, yeah, I mean the other thing in in uh, the, the the second the the uh, player of the year award voted by the players, which he won in 1976. Uh, I mean this moving forward, this was the Spurs side that was struggling under Terry Neal. Uh, we'd obviously avoided relegation in the last game of the previous, previous season, the infamous 4-2 win at home to Leeds. But this season, you know, we, we finished ninth. We went out to uh, Newcastle in the League Cup semi-finals. I remember one save you pulled off in that uh, first look against Tommy Craig, which I managed to track down. So let's listen to that save now. Touchdown from the big fellow, Martin Chivers. And that save, I don't know if you remember that save from Tommy Craig. Yeah, yeah, I've got it. Little little videos, little clips now that you can pick up on on, uh, YouTube and that, which uh, I've seen many, many times. Yeah, Yeah, it was fantastic. We obviously made a lot of saves around about that time, so that's... (laughs) The defence in front of you, yeah. Yeah. Um, Because we only won nine games in the league that season, uh, although that did include a 2-0 win at Arsenal. We scored five at home to Aston Villa and Sheffield United, but we drew 15 games that season, uh, finished... Uh, finished ninth. So again, to win that award again says so much about your exploits that season as well. Yeah, just they were great, unbelievable. I mean, looking back, I mean, that the night before, whenever the year before, whenever we needed to beat Leeds, I mean, of all the things I've won at the club, 
I think that gave me the greatest satisfaction that night because I didn't want to be part of the team that brought the great Tottenham Hotspur into the second division, you know. Yeah. So you can imagine the pressure going into that match on the Monday night. And, uh, you know, Leeds two weeks later, they are playing the European Cup finals. That was what we were mm. up against. Yeah. So, I mean, to get that result on the night and to keep us in the first division, I mean, that gave me more satisfaction than any of the cup wins, you know. Really? And the scenes that night, the high road at Tottenham, they were incredible, just the same as they were, as they were with us coming back from from uh, winning the cup, the celebrations, winning mm-hmm. the FA Cups and that, you know. But that was the uh, famous that was the famous game when Alfie Conn sat on the ball, much to the disgust of most of yeah, his teammates. Yeah. <laughs> Cyril Knowles, he scored two in the, the great late right. Cyril scored two in the night and Chiva had just coming back. Yeah. He had had a bad knee injury and he scored and Alfie, he scored and, and uh, you know, we're coasting the game 3-1 or whatever it was and we went to 4-2 and our 4-1 or 4-2, whatever, and Alfie mm. then decides to sit on the ball and take the mickey. Can you imagine <laughs> with it against that great Leeds team? <laughs> so we actually we made it, we asked him, but he would go in and apologise to the team after the match and, and supposedly he did, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah. as I say, from our point of view, or from my point of view, it was just one of the greatest nights ever. For, yeah, it was. For, it was uh, for the great Tottenham Hotspur, you know. It was but something then, special. I mean, the next year, I obviously said I had a great year, even though the team weren't really doing it. Mm-hmm. And I was reading in the papers then that uh, there was a possibility of mentioned who was who was competing for the, the football of the year. And we had Kevin Keegan and Kevin yeah. Beatty from Ipswich, you know. That was my main opposition. And funny enough, we had, we had a game. Northern Ireland had a match against Israel, away, away match. Mm. And uh, I was one, they obviously travel to the team. I didn't want to be going to Ipswich on, on uh, travelling to Israel on my own. And the chairman of the PFA, he was on to me all that week. He, he couldn't tell me, I wouldn't tell me that I was actually, had won it at that stage, but he kept saying, Pat, we need you there, you're in the top, whatever, you know. And I'm saying, no, the team are going to Israel, I, want, I don't want to be travelling on my own. Yeah. And still, whenever I got there in the night, I, I didn't know that I'd won it, you know. Wow. And whenever I actually got in, Brian Moore was in, interviewing Kevin Keegan, and I thought, no. <laughs> The team had gone without me, and now I'm travelling beyond tomorrow to, to yeah. Israel. So yeah. you can imagine the, 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 you know, the joy then of winning that PFA Player of the Year when all your fellow professionals are are, uh, are voting for you. Just absolutely, that must feel something special when it when it's it's other professional footballers. And when you look at the season that Kevin Keegan and Kevin Beatty were were having as well. During yeah. that year, you know, Ipswich were a yeah. good team in Liverpool. So, mm. uh, and only one other keeper, only one other keeper has won that award. Do you think? Do you, do you know who that was? Was that the Chilts? Yeah, Peter Shilton, correct. Peter the Shilton. only other goalkeeper to win that award, which is incredible, really. Yeah. Uh, Spurs so players. Am I, am, I, am I the only one to have won one both? <laughs> yeah, what? Well, um, as you're the only goalkeeper to win both of those awards. Absolutely. Oh, nice. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. That's amazing. The, the other first players to win it uh, in later years, Clive Allen, 87, he won both that year as well. David Ginola, I've already mentioned, uh, he uh, he won it. Gareth Bell yeah. won it twice in 2010 and 2012. Yeah. 
You know, it's incredible. You know, let's move forward now. That can't be bad. I know, incredible. Let's let's move forward now to your time in Northern Ireland, which a lot of Spurs fans, depending where you live, might not know some of these stories. I mean, it's incredible for such a small country to sort of have two back-to-back World Cup finals in 82 and 86. They'd have been there once before in 1958, uh, when you must have been, what, sort of 13? Do you remember watching that on TV? Did you watch the... Uh, Yeah, yeah, because my fellow Yuri who told you earlier, Peter McParn, he was playing in that... that, uh, but in those days, we would only got uh, newspaper reports, you know. Yeah. And uh, Peter McParland, he he scored the goals for Northern Ireland in a lot of the matches. Right. And also Harry Gregg was voted uh, goalkeeper of the, of the, the the tournament in '58. Mm. So uh, I, I, going back, I can remember that. And Harry was actually he had just come through the the Munich air disaster a couple of weeks before. So yeah. unbelievable times for, for, for him and Northern Ireland that 58 World Cup. Mm. But uh, I had been trying to qualify from 1964 from joining the team. As mm. an 18-year-old from Watford, George Best and myself, we, we uh, joined the international team same night. Fredfield mm. uh, Swansea, mm-hmm. 1-3-2. That was the start of our international careers. And then... Every every three four years after that, we're trying to uh, get a place in the World Cup to qualify mm. for a World Cup, and we're always the papers we're always comparing us with that '58 team. Would we ever do it? So I mean, you can imagine the thrill whenever we eventually we got to qualifying mm. for for, uh, for the '82 World Cup. At last, we'd we'd got yeah. it, you know. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned George there, who I think you you used to roommate with him. He was your roommate in those games. You, I think, at the time, you 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 really you thought that George should be in the '82 squad, didn't you? Well, yeah. I mean, he was on the verge. I mean, I think Billy Bingham was actually looking at him to mm. to uh, to bring him into the squad, but he obviously didn't think he was fit enough, you know. Yeah, he's probably I mean, at, he, he was at he, Fulham then, wasn't he? he? Must have been at Fulham. Yeah. I'm thinking. No, yeah. I think it was even before that because if oh, okay. he had been at Fulham, he would have uh, he would have played, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it was the late seventies whenever he was at Fulham, and okay. and uh, I can remember again playing in, in the team with him. They brought him back into the Ireland team at that stage, and the press were questioning whether he was good enough to uh, come back and play at international level, and we mm. we were drawn against the great Dutch team. In those late seventies, Cruyff, Neeskins, Rep, and the Kirkhoffs, all that 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 lot, and uh, George went out in the night, absolutely round the round the match, you know, mm. and we finished up. I think we drew on that night two each, and and uh, that was the team that went on to play Argentina in the final of the World Cup. That great Dutch team. Wow, amazing! George absolutely absolutely round the game that night. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So, the '82 yeah, campaign. Yeah, whenever you look back, I mean, for, for me, the, my biggest regret for George is, <clears throat> excuse me, that he never made or he never made a World Cup team. You know, never got to pick or never got to play in that '82 World Cup. Mm. And then '86, he was well gone at that stage. Yeah, you know? yeah. But when yeah. you look back and you think, what an unbelievable player he was. Mm. And didn't manage to, you know. Just so I'm so disappointed for him that he didn't get the join. Isn't that even two worlds? Uh, no, 
Absolutely. The campaign started, well, I think it was two draws against Yugoslavia and then Honduras. And obviously the, the famous game, you then faced the host Spain in a must-win game for Northern Ireland to qualify. Before the game, did the team kind of fancy their chances? Uh, well, yeah, we're a confident team. Like, I mean, and we knew that we were, well, we didn't give goals away, or not many goals anyway, mm. you know, as we proved in the earlier matches. Like, and we'd watched, uh, we'd watched Spain and that, and any any sort of decisions that were going, they always seemed to be going in their favour on, on the matches before that were watched, yeah. you know. You're thinking uh, Spain and a World Cup, they're the hosts. They've got to be kept in the competition as long as possible. Like. Mm. So, I mean, even when you look back at our match to send off and our match with Mal Donaghy. Yes, he got sent off. sent off for nothing. It was just one of the unbelievable nights, uh, that, that match against uh, beating the host nationally. Yeah, it's probably, the uh, great, it's probably the greatest. I mean, Northern Ireland recently have done extremely well, but I mean... Everyone still remembers uh, that game. And here's a clip now. Uh, Ex-Tottenham man himself, Jerry Armstrong. Let's remind the listeners of, of, of the goal. 16, Sanchez. Cordelio. Lopez Ufate, Cordelio. Jerry Armstrong, what a worker he is. Striding away there with Hamilton to his right. Norman Whiteside up on the far side of the area. Still Billy Hamilton, he's got past Tendilio. And Arkanari, Armstrong! Northern Ireland have scored through Jerry Armstrong. A mistake by the goalkeeper, and it's the 100th goal of this World Cup tournament. And it could be a priceless one for Northern Ireland. Watch Arkanada, that's not the best goalkeeper in Europe on that form. And Armstrong drives it through him, through the defender's legs. Taking the lead. Armstrong has scored both their goals in the tournament. He got the two most vital goals in the qualifiers. And he started the move way back in his own half. And he was on hand to finish it when it came in from Billy Hamilton, who got round the back of Tendilio. Now then, at this stage of the evening, Northern Ireland at 1-0, if it stays like this, would qualify, but so would Spain. And Yugoslavia would be the team to miss out. Um, and then you went, obviously, you then went into the quarterfinals. Um, well, no, you, you, played, you faced was it Austria after Spain. You played Austria, wasn't it? I think from memory. Yeah, I missed out in one of the games because leading up to the having qualified in November in 81 for the mm. World Cup, <clears throat> I was back playing at Tottenham with Arsenal. And... Uh, I think I give the worst goal I've ever given away against uh, against that day against Carlsberg scored a goal. Right. I could have thrown the cap on it, but somehow yeah. it got past me and in the net. But uh, the second half of that match, I went out literally done the splits and ripped my groin and made a doctor muscle. Oh, and uh, I was every six, seven, eight weeks after that having to miss out on matches, get back you play a couple of matches and then had to stop again. So right through to, I think it was, uh, what, in May, I think it was, I actually went with the international team and played, we played Wales 
and I played the first half of the match and whenever I came in at half time Billy Bingham said to me right Pat that'll do you you've got a month now to get fit for, for, for Spain so right. that was how close I came to not playing in the match wow. you know the grind still wasn't right and then after having played three matches in qualifying then uh, I missed I think it was the first match or second match then mm. in the last 12 or 16 because the grind played me up again you know yeah you play in the, uh, but it was the quarterfinal against France, wasn't it? That uh, you lost four-one. But I mean, that yeah, was a, a yeah, great, yeah, great that game. Yeah, Platini. I mean, that was a fantastic French team, wasn't it? Yeah, and we we actually looking back, we had Martin Martin O'Neill to this day. We think we had scored a great goal early on in the match. Mm. I think it was at one that would have left at one one or two one got us back yeah. in the game. And yeah. we had the goal disallowed, and and uh, I often look back. I think that could have been the difference, but sure, that's football. Mm. So. And then obviously the '86 campaign was incredible because you'd you'd left Arsenal and then you were back at Spurs for a while, sort of to keep fit. What what, what was going on there? Why 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 did you left Arsenal and come back to train? Well, they they obviously thought I was finished at Arsenal at that stage. Right. Yeah, uh, age forty or whatever. Forty coming up yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, I'd more or less finished. I was back home in Ireland six, seven weeks into the into the with the family in Ireland, mm-hmm. and uh, I got a call from Peter Shreves, and uh, he he said they were back to Tottenham were struggling. They'd only got one fit goalkeeper, Ray Clements, and could I would I please come and help them out? So uh, I said to Peter, did or Peter uh, Shreves? Uh, Peter, I'm finished. I haven't kicked the ball for seven <laughs> weeks, eight weeks. So, yeah. funny enough, Laurie McManamy had asked me, he had joined uh, Sunderland, right. and he had asked me would I go and, and join him at Sunderland. And I thought at that stage, and at my age, you know, moving from London to Sunderland, uh, it was a great offer, but thanks, but no thanks. So, mm. uh, and he had asked Billy Bingham, I think Laurie had asked Billy Bingham, what was the situation with me? And I think Billy Bingham had said, if Pat's playing in any team, I'll pick him for the qualifying matches. Like, right. that we ever dreamt about qualifying, or I wasn't chasing caps at, at that stage, you know? Yeah. But uh, I said to Peter, look, Peter, let me think about it. We'll be, I'll be back off holiday on Friday, back to London. I'll give you a ring over the weekend. And the next thing Peter said to me, Pat, we've got a match against Chelsea Reserves on Tuesday. I need you to play," he said. "I'm booking you on a flight in the morning." Mm-hmm. So, literally, that was what happened. I came back the next day and played against Chelsea on the Tuesday. Kept a clean sheet, and uh, finished up. Then went right way through because we're having these qualifying matches, mm-hmm. and we had uh, I had an unbelievable run at age forty. Mm-hmm. I had two games against Turkey qualifying matches. We played the great uh, Platini, the French team, in a, in a way match a friendly in France. And then we, we played uh, the, a Spanish team as well, the, uh, the full Spanish team. Mm. That was, I don't know where that was, in Spain, New York or something like that. And we there again, kept a clean sheet there. We've got another match against Romania in the World Cup. Well, that was a big game. That was a big game. You were great in that game away. Incredible match, yeah. yeah Went yeah. there again. And uh, somehow in the night kept a clean sheet there, you know. It just wasn't about yeah. me, it was about the team, you know. Mm. But uh, somehow then we got to that stage, and now the last match, <laughs> we need to go to England. 
play England at Wembley. Yeah, but see, I think he needed a point. point. But he needed to get well, we get a point, was yeah, it? Yeah, to get the point to qualify wow. to take us to Mexico. Incredible, to incredible. Day. I mean, it was just an incredible night that Wembley. Yeah. Night. Well, I remember there was the save. There was a save from our very own Glenn Hoddle. Um, and then I remember, was, yeah, on the right hand side, and, and that's believe, right. And believe it or not, that part of the half where Wembley was frozen. Right. The pitch was like a like a like a absolutely frozen up that that half of the pitch. So to get across and get it over the bar from playing, that was a good save. But then the one the second half from uh, the header was yeah, Kerry Dixon like yeah. so. I know. Uh, and poor old the late great Alan McDonald, he was behind me on the line. Yeah. And I was concerned that he was gonna to get to it put his hand up and handle it. Yeah. Thinking that I wasn't getting there, yeah. and I mean somehow I managed to get it over the bar, and mm. uh, that would have that got us then the, the point that we needed, you know. Mm. I mean, I mean, it's incredible. I mean, if you can, I mean, you could Kerry write. Dixon was funny that night. Kerry Dixon went down injured. He got a knock on the head, and I could see. Uh, I think it was Tony Woodcock. He was warm, warming up on the touchline, and we didn't want. I didn't want him coming on at that stage, like. So we get down to Tommy and said, uh, you better get up if you want to play on because, what do you call him, lining up on the, or warming up. So he shook himself and got up. But somehow, anyway, we got the point that we needed to, to qualify us for, for Mexico. Yeah. I mean, and that must be an experience. To be out, be out in South America, 986 age, uh, well, you were 40 then, and, and obviously... I think you drew with Algeria in the first game and then just lost to Spain yeah. from memory. Then obviously you placed on your birthday, uh, the mighty Brazil on your birthday, your 119th cap. I mean, describe the feelings. I mean, it's, it's like Roy the Roman stuff, isn't it? It's incredible. It's birthday. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't have written the script for that one. Yeah, it's just I know. But uh, a great night. I mean, I think everybody admired the way Brazil played football and the main to finish it. To have your last game against them, I mean, it was just in a World Cup final. It was just, as I say, you couldn't have written the script for that. Yeah. Uh, amazing. And finally, I just want to ask you a bit about the kind of art of goalkeeping. You know, because over the years, you know, early days, goalkeepers didn't wear gloves. Then they had the very thin green gloves. Now, this, you know, the massive padded gloves. What else do you think has sort of changed goalkeeping, the art of goalkeeping, uh, since, since you've been playing? Well, no doubt the coaching situation, you know. I mean, yeah. As I said, everybody, I never had a coach for um, the first 13, 14 years in the game. Um, and uh, now, I mean, the young ones from, I still work with the academy boys of the club, and uh, Perry Suckling, that my mate, and Chris Day, and Alex Welsh mm -hmm. in there with, with the kids from any sort of age, you know. Mm. So all these kids are getting proper coaching right the way through, just in coaching what they're doing, exercising that whenever it comes to matches, I've done thousands of times during the coaching sessions. So it, it just makes it so much easier dealing with situations that you've experienced so many times in coaching. So it's such a great help. I mean, in our day, that we, we always thought that whatever saves we're making in, in training it was always for the benefit of the outfield players it was never for us you know mm. so it was just di different times and I 
as I said earlier, I mean, the goalkeepers weren't really valued. I mean, they were paying massive money for forwards to score goals, but they weren't paying half that sort of money for goalkeepers for stopping them. Didn't make a lot of sense, but that was the way it was. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, since 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 you've retired um, over the last, you know, how many years it is now, what, what goals do you think since you've stopped playing really stand out for you over the years? Uh, the which... Which which goalkeepers do you admire that played after you um, that, that that you you really really rate rated? Well, in our day, I mean, no doubt, I mean, uh, uh, Gordon Banks and and uh, Schultz and uh, Ray Clements and people they got. I mean, they were as good. They could still play in our days without a doubt. You know, yeah. But all the goalkeepers because of the coaching that they have in our days. There's no bad goalkeepers up and down the country. Some some of them do things a little bit better than than the others. But I mean, me, I can't imagine whenever I watch all the playing about now at the back that they're doing. That I mean, in our day, we couldn't have done that mm. in the first place because of the pitches, the, the, yes. the pitches we played on. I mean, you couldn't, we couldn't be getting back passes and control it in in the in the state of the pitches that we played in. But uh, that was the way it was, you know. Mm. But I mean, but the way you played is, is, I mean, since you and and I can think of, you know, my memories of you. Obviously, you one of the first goalkeepers I remember that was brilliant with with your feet. So many goals you saved with your feet, which I can think of. Schmeichel, maybe De Gea of Manchester United, that are also as as strong. But I think you know, and obviously the famous one-hand catches coming for crosses. But I think the main thing that you had that I don't see in, in if, what I call now modern goalkeepers is your calmness in games. I see so many, even Hugo Lloris, there was one last season when he ran out, I think, in the Champions League and took the player out for no reason, gave away a penalty. I don't remember seeing you lose your head at all. Is that, think that's fair? Uh, yeah, probably. I, I was I was only ever booked. I'm too short of 1100 first class games. Yeah. In my career, too short of 1100, and I was only ever booked once, and that was wow. against Leeds. Mm. And uh, I mean, I finished up that day. Mick Jones and myself got involved. I punched across the way, and were he was sort of lying on top of me, holding me down, and we both got up in front of each other. And the next minute, he he threw a punch and went to run away and I actually kicked them, you know, off the backside. And <laughs> meanwhile, the ball's in the halfway line. The, the referee, he, or the linesman, he's through the attention of the ref. All of a sudden, penalty. And we'll lose the match one day. No, and really? Then, yeah. Wow. Like whenever I came back in, and many times that I told you before, I won't doubt what this team was like, you know. So yeah. it was during a learning process, but one book and then I suppose 1100 games was not too bad. Yeah, that's, but, uh, that's amazing. It was just a different game, you know, as you say, in those days. Like, I mean, when you like going back to the coaching that like uh, all, all the years now, I've been working at the club at Tottenham as a coach, went back with Ozzy. Mm. Remember he took over as manager in, in uh, 1993. Yeah. And uh, I've been there more or less since 26 years on the coach and staff wow. line. But not obviously went to work with the first team when I brought back with Aussie. But then uh, Hans Seegers came in and he took over full-time coach. And so I've just been working now with the, with the backup boys 
all mm. those years at the club with all the managers and uh, I've loved every minute of it, you know. What do you think young keepers don't have? I know we talked at the top of the show about being instinctive. I mean, you said there was no coaching. You had to learn on the job almost. What do you think now? I mean, I know all, you know, players now are super fit. Um, what do you think a lot of young goalies starting out kind of lack maybe? Well, there's no reason why. I mean, we've all got different strengths and weaknesses, you know. Mm. So, uh, I mean, whenever we start with the young goalkeepers, whenever they come to us at, at 15, 16, 17, we'll mark the card saying, look, guys, realistically, you know, you're not all going to play for Tottenham because of the age thing. Mm. And uh, But every day on the, on the training pitch, nothing's wasted. Wherever you go, you go on to another club. You take that training sessions with you, you know. So that's, we try and mark the cards they got to say, look, in case of the yeah. disappointments down the line, if they don't make, uh, don't become professional, or don't, don't go on to have a great career in the game, at least you mm. know we're marking the cards of what can happen for them. It must be a terrible disappointment with kids whenever they join the likes of Tottenham and other clubs throughout the country, big clubs, and then they don't uh, eventually make it. You know, it's a yeah. disappointment for them, but. So that's football is happening every, up and down the country every, every day of the week. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, look, Pat, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it, it, it's been fantastic. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at spurshow.net. Sports Social Podcast Network.